Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It's the Beckler and Shauna podcast. Your daily download of X92 Nights, X Mornings with Beckler and Shauna. Brought to you by Shane Holmes. Offering affordable customization on your new home. It's Friday, March 1st, 2024. I'm Beckler. I'm Shauna. This is the Beckler and Shauna Pisscast. It is. Uh, this past week was, tell me if you disagree, Shauna, uh-huh. uh, the, probably the most stressful week of my radio career. Yeah. Uh, I would say it was... Do you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. It was a long, long week. It was crazy because on Wednesday, I was like, it feels like it's Friday. <laughs> Actually, Tuesday, I think, even, we came into work and I'm like, it feels... We've done enough for Friday already at that point. If it weren't for things like the Calgary Heritage Moment and, you know, Pop-Up Audio and Throwback Thursday and like these markers that we have, yep. I wouldn't know what day it is because no. yeah. for me, it's just been a blur of... Changes at the station and hospital trips and like yeah, holy crap! And um, I didn't have the hospital trips, um, but it was the trying to to cover for me, right? Yeah, in the combination with the stress of knowing what you are going through, oh. and then at work, yeah, we've had these. Meetings. It's been a t- yeah, yeah, it's been. A l- I think both of us got into it. And it was like th- this might have been the longest week ever. Yeah, I feel like I could sleep for a year. Yeah, after this, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but we made it. Yeah, we made and, it. Uh, the biggest, the biggest thing, and the best goddamn thing is that your wife is uh, doing doing a lot better. She's on the mend, McKenna. That um, is literally of everything else. When we put that into perspective, and you're like, that is great. Yeah, right? I know. Like, like everything else doesn't really seem to matter after no. that. So, um, she she did sleep at home last night. I'll explain that on the podcast today. It was a bit of a wild night for us. Yeah. But she's got, she's undergoing a procedure right now, actually, a kidney biopsy. Mm-hmm. And then she has to get this medication tomorrow that she's on. I don't know how long she's going to be on it. I haven't talked about this on the air yet. It's the most expensive medication in the world. Yeah. it's inc- You were telling me, about this is absolutely insane. Yeah. This dose that she's getting tomorrow, I believe is $20,000. And if she were dose. to be on it weekly, like yeah. the annual cost of it in Canada is something like $700,000. So we were working with a, so- a social worker yesterday to figure out how to get this covered. Yeah. I, I think, as her doctor said, I think she only, as of right now, needs this dose tomorrow. And then we'll have right. to de- see how things look going forward. But I was like, that's insane. That is did- so nuts. And yeah. it's because of how rare this is, right? So it's not... Um, Profitable for the drug companies right. to, to develop this if they can't charge that much. So that's why it's that expensive. Yeah. Um, the, I mean... The fact that this drug even exists, it was only approved in Canada for what they think McKenna has in 2013. And prior to that, like, outcomes were not good for yeah. people. So, as expensive as it is, I'm grateful that it exists, and I'm grateful that we have found a way for it to be covered. Totally. It's nuts, though. Yeah. It's absolutely nuts. That is good. And it's it's insane to think, like, that's not the only, like, McKenna's not alone in those costs for, you said, like, this is the most expensive drug in the world, but there are people who are on drugs that are that Freaking expensive. Yeah. 
indefinitely and for their lives and somehow have to either hopefully have it covered or or what, right? Like, I was reading in, like, the government of Canada was involved in a lawsuit with the manufacturer of this drug because of the cost of it. And in, in Brazil, for example, the only way people can get it is if they sue their government for the right to be treated. So it's it's so expensive that there's all this legal stuff that comes along with it. And there are so many drugs out there like that. And like even if even if your drug is worth a quarter of that, and you have to try and figure out how to pay for, like you know what I mean. There are very few people that could afford that. Yeah. Like you know, if you get it, if she got it every week, it'd be what eighty thousand bucks a month. Mm-hmm. I, and I joked to the social worker, I was like, I guess I'm gonna have to make the NHL, <laughs> which is uh, not looking real promising at this point in my career. Well, you know, you could give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> Go to one of those open trials for the CFL, although that will certainly not pay you. But this, that way, I don't think I'd be able to there. afford this drug no. on a CFL salary. Uh, the doctor said, though, this case is so incredibly rare. He said the last time they saw someone come through looking like her was in 2022. Crazy. So it's, it's literally one in a million. Yeah. It's just wow. bad luck. And it happened, you know? He said yeah. the last woman, that, the last patient they had, too, was a healthy young woman. So he's like, these, these autoimmune things come out of nowhere and can get people you wouldn't expect. So. Yeah. But she's on the mend. She's yes, getting treated. And I'm huge. just... It's awesome. Yes. Yep. Feeling as tired as I am, I'm feeling good. Mm-hmm. Feeling good. Uh, on today's show... Oh, at the end of today's podcast, so you were talking about privy pits earlier this year. Yes. Or earlier this week, I should say. And if, and if you missed that conversation, Shauna, what's a privy pit? It's this pit that you basically had prior to modern day sewage systems, essentially. Um, and it was... <laughs> So we just missed something we were supposed to be doing no, on the air. Okay. That's fine. Um, <laughs> so yeah, prior to sewage, it's basically just a pit that you'd poop in, but you'd also just toss all your waste into it. Like just a pit that you just toss everything that you needed to throw out into. Garbage, dead animals. Dead horses, yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So we got a message from an archaeologist who was so excited about this uh, because he said, yeah, you're right. Like These privy pits are a big deal to our archaeologists. So we had a good chat with him, about 10-minute chat at the end of this podcast, all about what he does, what they look for in these pits. His job as a whole, I yeah. found it very interesting. Totally. Uh, a bunch of stuff before that, though. Let's get into it. This is your Out of Context clip. Just set them on the fire until my hair gone. The Beckler and Shauna Podcast. I don't know how I got thinking about this, Beckler, but do you remember Grand and Toy? Was Grand and Toy a store here? Uh, I remember Grand and Toy. I don't remember. I don't remember if... There was one in my hometown, but I remember seeing commercials for it and stuff. Okay. You remember yeah. seeing their trucks? I, I don't know why I brought this up to a friend, and he did say that I think there is there was one in Calgary as well, but I remember that store growing up, and it was the most disappointing store as a child, because <laughs> you'd walk yeah. by it, and you'd assume that there would be toys in there. And it wasn't. And it was the most... It was office supplies, right? Yes. The oh. most mundane, bullcrap store. The opposite of toys. It was like all gray in there, too. It was weird. You walked in and everything is just gray. Yeah. It's the opposite of a toy store. What a piss off. Holy crap. As a kid, I remember you'd walk in and you'd get all excited. And you're like, geez, is there a highlighter at least? <laughs> Something that has color in here? Colorful Honestly. Sharpies? No, we only have black. Yes. Oh. It was just the most... that. Whoever, I, I know that it was last names or I assume it was, I don't yeah. even know, but I, I don't care. That should have just not been a thing because as I feel like every child at some point, if they walked through a mall and they saw a grand toy, they were disappointed. Your last name is Toy. Yeah. And you're going into retail, but not a toy store. Office supplies. O- office supplies. You got to change your last name, you're like, man. Actually, I'm no fun at all. Yeah. I don't enjoy joy. Seriously. <laughs> what colors would you like your store to be? Gray. Gray. Everything's gray. Uh, different shades of gray scale. All the gray. Please. Oh, is that a, is that a yellow highlighter? Take it out. Nope. 
If Don't color be offensive. Jeez, honestly. It overstimulates me. No wonder that place doesn't Coy. exist anymore. If it does, <laughs> you are see it. The Begler and Shauna Podcast. Shauna, I had such a wild night. I had a wild night yesterday. Wild, uh, wild. Okay, so, what happened? As you know, my wife, McKenna, has been in the hospital for the past week. Yes. And yesterday, um, she saw the doctor, and they were talking about maybe allowing her to go home on an overnight pass so that she could go home. You know, shower up, sleep in her own Fantastic bed. Fantastic news. She's got to be back at the hospital this weekend for a few procedures today and tomorrow. But so she was very excited about the potential of getting no out of there. She's feeling better and was excited about not being in the hospital for a night. Yeah. Um, so there's a few things they had to do. She has she had a, a line in her jugular. It's like an IV, but it goes into your jugular. Jeez. And that had to come out before she could go home. Right. Um, so the doctor came in last night, yesterday, and kind of explained everything that had happened. And this was the first time that she had been lucid enough to really understand what the doctor was saying and to understand like how serious mm-hmm. her condition has been. Right. And it was pretty emotional for her. So she, she started crying and then her nose started bleeding. Oh God. And because this has all had to do with her blood and her kidneys and everything, uh, the bleeding like, wasn't stopping. Oh my God. So another doctor came in to take out this line out of her neck and said, he's like, I'm hesitant to do this because it's like one of the biggest veins in your body and you're, like clearly you're not clotting properly, right? Yeah. So she was, she was so Lord. sad. She's like, if this nosebleed stops me from going home tonight. No kidding. So eventually she got the nosebleed under control and they took the line out and she was okay. So we got her dressed and I put her in the vehicle and we don't live anywhere near this hospital. Like it's been... It's been a, like a trek every time we've gone back and forth between here over the last week. Yeah. So we get two minutes away from the hospital and she gets nauseous and I got to pull over oh, and God. she is puking out the side of the vehicle. And I'm hanging on to her so she doesn't <laughs> fall out. And this flares up her nose bleeding. Oh, my God. And they had said, if your nose like continues to bleed, you got to come back tonight because you're going to lose too much blood, right? Great. Awesome. So she's like, oh, I want to go home and see if I can get this nose bit under control. So we drive home and she's like covered in blood at this point. Like she looks like she's been like had that crap beat out of her. Mm. So I phoned ahead and I said to her mom, I was like, I'm bringing her in. The boys probably don't want to see her with this much blood on her. So like you keep them away while I get her to the bath. So we got her in, got her cleaned up and she was able to have what I was when I left this morning. She was still sleeping. So. Oh, thank God. But it was like. So a nosebleed potentially a, prevented her from having to turn around and like go back to the hospital. Yeah, oh, a nosebleed. Yeah. But like what a comedy of errors that was. Yeah. So. I'm very happy that she, oh, uh, okay, Shana, great. It's been, it has been a week, Shauna. Yeah, yeah. This has been. It's been a time. The craziest it's week that I think we've time. had yeah. ever, maybe. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm yeah. looking forward to the weekend, Yeah, shall we say. No kidding. The Beckler and Shauna Podcast. Fridays on this show, we celebrate pizza. We do. We do it every single Friday. Yeah. We do it for Atlas Pizza mm-hmm. on Memorial Drive. So if you're considering pizza this weekend. Go to Atlas. Yeah, support local. Give do Atlas it. a call. Great pizza. Mm-hmm. This is the Friday morning pizza chat. We can pizza if we want to. We can eat this whole damn pie. Cause if we don't pizza and then we don't pizza, then you're no friend of mine. Okay. The more shoehorned it is, the more I love it. Men without hats, the pizza <laughs> dance. That's the name of we that one. We can pizza if we want. We to. can pizza if we want to. We can leave no pizza behind. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> uh, I got into some juicy pizza knowledge that I had no idea about recently, Beckler. Uh, I went down a bit of rabbit hole here. So, um, you know, when it comes to stuffed crust pizza. Yeah, my boy's favorite. There is some sort of uh, theory as to how 
stuffed crust pizza became a thing. So I just want to get into this here. We'll start at the beginning. U.S. dairy produces way more product than either the U.S. consumers or the global market can handle. They always have. There's always way too much dairy. We do too. We do as well. We end up dumping a lot of milk here. We do. We're a little bit better at this. um, But overproduction has pushed prices to the states so low. At certain points, actually, this is really sad, but at one point a milk plant in the U.S. mailed out this milk price forecast and it was so grim that they put a bunch of suicide prevention hotline numbers along oh. with the forecast because oh. it was like for awful. the people who are employed for by the, the industry who are employed and who are trying to produce dairy. Damn. Um, so there's this group that has then been hired to try to find ways to get consumers to eat more dairy. It's a massive marketing company and they've worked with fast food chains and they've been trying to come up with ways to get people to eat more cheese, essentially. That's the big focus. So in 2012, they worked with Taco Bell and developed a cheese filling that would stretch like taffy when heated that they use in a bunch of their food offerings now at Taco Bell. And it was all part of this marketing company to try and get people to eat more cheese. Oh. In 2017, they worked with Pizza Hut. And they convinced Pizza Hut that consumers wanted more cheese on their pizza. I won't argue with that. Nope. So this led to a discussion on how much cheese they should add to the personal pan pizza. And they added a bunch more and they decided all of that. And also when it came to things like stuffed crust, that was ways of okay. adding even more cheese into how do the we pizza get in that way. Cheese on more of the pizza That's without it. just like drowning the pizza in cheese. And we've talked about how some of the pizza offerings now are like triple cheese yeah. pizza and extra types of cheese that you can put on your pizza. And that's and a big you're, thing. Your lactose intolerant bum quivers when you hear that, it's, right? It goes, so every time I even read about it and even hearing all this, I'm like, my lord, it's starting to. I actually have to go to the bathroom now. So we can go when we want to. You can pour a glass of wine. Because if I make a dough and you also make a dough, then we'll both have a very good time. Podcast. <laughs> I have some great Fortune 500 businesses oh, to share with you, Sean. Good, and good. I actually thought this segment was dying for a while there yeah. because we just kept getting like repeat ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're getting some some new ones now, which is really exciting. So this one's in front of the show, Brian, a waste removal company called Grab My Junk. Big fan of that. The tagline, big or small, we grab it all. I love everything mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. They're doing it right. Yeah. I spotted this one while driving the other day, and I was like, I need someone to make notes while I'm driving, so I don't have to be on my phone. So I just handed my my phone to my youngest, Brigham, and I was like, take a picture of that van beside us, because it was from a company called Soul Trading Asian Food Wholesale and Distribution. Soul spelled okay. as in the capital of Korea. I love it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That was good. good. Yep. This one's from your boyfriend, Cliff. There's a pizza place in Richmond, Virginia. Bonus pizza content this morning. It's all Van Halen themed, and it's called Hot for Pizza. Oh, that's good. That's not local, but... No, it's an honorable lovely. mention. Yeah. It's an honorable mention. Big fan. And the, like, the picnic tables outside are painted like Eddie Van Halen's guitar. Oh, that's great. Very cool. Nailed it. Yeah, I'm yep. a fan of that. Cliff would be too, right? Yes, he loves absolutely. Van Halen. absolutely, yes. This isn't a pun, but I wanted to give this business an honorable mention just because I thought it was super funny. There's a, a bar slash comedy club in Winnipeg called The Handsome Daughter. <laughs> I think that's so funny. Like, mm. If you said to yeah. someone, oh, your daughter is so handsome, they'd that's be like, should I be A backwards by compliment, <laughs> yeah. Like, if somebody calls me handsome, I'm not sure I would take that as a compliment. She's no. a handsome woman. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can picture handsome women, though. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. You imagine... 
What do they look like? Meryl Streep is a handsome woman. Is she? Yes. We've talked about handsome women before. Is she the one that she's the, the defining factor of a handsome woman? Wallace Simpson was a handsome, a handsome woman. I don't even know who Wallace Simpson is. She was uh, King Edward's girl, the one that he abdicated the front of. Okay. For. Yeah. Right. Handsome woman. Yeah, Very handsome. Interesting. Okay. The handsome daughter. What mm. a great business name. Okay. Well. <laughs> the Beckler and Shauna podcast. I was reading about how the Blue Jays are having pickle fest in July. Is it exactly what I think it is? Oh yeah. It's pickle stuff. So the <laughs> giveaway, I guess, is some sort of pickle tote bag and it's just going to be pickle themed everything. And uh, as a big fan of pickles, as you know, Beckler. And a fan of the Blue Jays. Uh, this is a very exciting night for me. They're combining two things that you love. I'm a bit of a pickle hoo <laughs> I'd say. I'm a big fan of the pickle. So These theme nights are big, right? Don't they do the, is it the dollar hot dog night or whatever? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, there's so, all kinds of them, yeah. right? And it's always a, a fun way for you to kind of just pick which game you want to go to based right. on what they're giving away or what they're doing. So Pickle Fest night in July will be one that I will be there for. You're gonna you're gonna go there for that? I think so because I I always go home to visit my parents anyway, and I always selfishly line up when the Jays are home. Sure, why not? When if you're I going go all back that way. home to visit my parents, right? So I'm thinking that that might line up just perfectly. So looking for those Pickle Fest tickets. Going to hey, Pickle that's... Fest tickets. <laughs> High demand ticket. Should be a little night of the ballpark for one of the most anticipated events of the season. It's Pickle Fest. I have been gearing up for this for months, Buck. You might say it's kind of always pickle fest for you and me, Tammy. Oh, I love pickles. Me too. Big pickles. Salty pickles. Small peckers. Savory pickles. Sweet pickles. Pickles you just can't keep your hands off of. Stubby peckers. Once you start sucking back pickles, you just can't stop. I sometimes swallow my pickle all in one go. Penis. Excuse me? Nothing. Pickles, okay. pickles. The Beckler and Shauna podcast. I know you're not crazy about my Lord of the Rings nerd talk, um, but I wanted to just play this clip for you if I could. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So, do you know what the Silmarillion is? No. So, the Silmarillion is like the lore of Lord of the Rings. Like, it goes back to the beginning of the right. creation of Middle Earth and stuff. And uh, it's written like the Bible, very much like the Bible, and it's as dense as the Bible is. It's one of the most complicated books I've ever tried to read. Dear Lord. I've read through the physical copy twice in my life. Okay. I listened to the audiobook recently, which was 20 hours long. Okay. And I retained so little of it that I had to re listen again. So, I'm going through my second audiobook listen, read by a different author now or, or, or a different voice actor. So, you're trying again. Okay. Trying again. Good for um, you. And it, 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 you have to pay such close attention because of how detailed it is. And mm-hmm. I'll, here, here's a clip that I just passed in a, in a passage recently. This is what it sounds like in places. The sons of Hador were Galdor and Gundor, and the sons of Galdor were Hurin and Huor, and the son of Hurin was Turin the bane of Glaurung, and the son of Huor was Tuor, father of Earendil, the blessed. The son of Boromir was Bregor, this whose sons riveting. were Bregolas <laughs> and Barahir, mm. and the sons of Bregolas goes were on. Baragund okay. and Belagund. Yep. This the daughter of Baragund was Morwen, the <laughs> mother of Turin, over here. and the daughter of <laughs> Belagund was Rian. The mother of Tuor. How dense is that? That, who, I, why? Yeah, and I mean, if, if people know their why Tolkien. Why do people subject themselves to that? <laughs> if people know their Tolkien, there will be some names that came up there that would get you very excited. My you know eyes their just stories. glazed over and they but, hurt now. Like, tear. <laughs> but the son of Barahir oh, was yeah. Beren One Hand, who won the love of Luthien, Thingol's daughter, oh, Baron and, and returned from the dead. What a story. From yeah. them. Came Elwing. I'm Isn't already tired enough, and this is putting me right to bed. You know the opposite of what's getting you up, you so, know, kicking the corner of your mustache <laughs> up is that. that. Unless you like it. Wow. 
But I'm, I'm trying to think, like, if I had dedicated oh my some God. of my brain power to something else instead of this, what could I have done with that? I don't know. Like, could I be a doctor by now? Probably if I cured like, cancer at this point, not something else. <laughs> the Beckler and Shauna Podcast. Etymology with Shauna. This is a quick one and kind of a different etymology, but it was uh, submitted to us from friend of the show, Hugo. And he sent us this little thing that I started watching, and it's about the hidden meaning behind the Vans logo. I saw this as well, yes. And I am very sad that as a former skate bunny, is that what <laughs> is you that call what they it? call them? I used to hang out at the skate parks all the time, and you'd watch all the skaters. Like, I don't, yeah, like, because it's a puck bunny. So, what is it for skate? Or buckle bunny for the rodeo? Buckle bunny. So, yeah, I don't know skate what the skate bunny just doesn't ring off the tongue quite as nice, but we'll that's what that I was. Out. Okay. Anyway, uh, I can't believe I didn't know this. So if you type Vans into a calculator, so the V would be the square root symbol. And when you look at the Vans symbol, how it has the whole like V that extends just like the square root yes. does. So you type that in and then ANS for answer and it forms a math equation. So if you type this into a calculator. A graphing calculator. A graphing calculator. The answer is 420. <laughs> really? So Vans means 420. There is a hidden name behind Vans or meaning behind the Vans logo and it's just 420. So the square root of answer. Yes. Is 420. Yeah. You type that so in. So it was a stoner joke this whole time. It was a stoner joke this whole time. We didn't even know about it. So this is just upsetting. Again, That's as a deep. skate bunny, I feel, I feel. I got to give known. Vans credit mm -hmm. for that little nugget. I know. That is, that is quite deep. There are some people who think it's just pure coincidence. That that's the case. And I was like, I mean, maybe that's the case too, but I would like to think that it was a, it was intentional from the get go. Okay. It sounds like it could be coincidence. Have have has the company ever commented on this, or would they not? No, they they haven't. I don't think they would, though. You know, so I mean, I could see it if you're just like some skater who's bored as hell in class playing around with your graphing calculator. And you're like, oh my god, yeah, the <laughs> shoes I'm wearing are Vans. Now let's type this into this but, calculator, and that is 420. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for the creators even, right? Just yeah. messing around and realized totally. they could get 420 out of that. And I guess the uh, logo itself was designed by the son of the guy who started the company up. And you could think, you know, that would be a good joke because mm. someone who's a bit younger too, again, playing around with a graphing calculator. So who knows? I wonder which came first. I know. I love it though, regardless. Etymology with Shauna. The Beckler and Shauna podcast. So I was reading a bit more into this and Van started by a dude named Paul Van Doren, Paul and James Van Doren. Mm -hmm. And it was called the Van Doren Rubber Company. Gotcha. And they made shoes back in 1966. I kind of vaguely remember hearing about that, actually. Yeah, so 1966 predates 420, the, 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 the proposed origins of 420 in cannabis culture. Right. So this would be more of like a, I'm guessing like a retconned explanation for the yeah the logo. And when I heard it, I was like, yeah, there's a good chance that that's just like someone, some stoner put this together. But it's always interesting anyway, because you're like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool that it does have that multiple meaning anyway. It's a unique coincidence. It if sure it is, is a coincidence. Yeah. This is kind of cool. You may remember back when you were away, Shauna, I uh, interviewed a dude from Norway named Ulla Helland. And we just talked about the differences between our country and I had a great chat with him. Yep. I got this message from friend of the show, Brad. And he said, hey, long-time listener, first-time caller. I listen to your show every morning on the way to work in Calgary. And today, a friend in Norway messaged me to see if I had heard of your show. Apparently, you interviewed my very good friend, Ula, this morning. It wasn't during my drive, but I'll find it on the podcast. So That's a small world. That is a small world. So I was like, how do you and this dude in Norway know each other? Yeah. He's like, well, I had a friend here in Calgary in grade three who was from Norway. And then 
This guy, Stefan, his friend, moved back to Norway, and Brad has kept in touch with Stefan, has gone to visit him a whole bunch, and Stefan is friends with Ula in Norway. That's hilarious. So, he sent Small me pictures. After Brad, all. Brad yeah. sent me pictures of him hanging out with Ola there. And oh my god, like, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That is so... I mean, it's on the other side of the world, literally. It is so weird, though, because we talk about this often. Like, it's weird. You will meet people you know across the world. Yeah. It's so strange to me. Like, I've met like friends of the show in London, England. You know what I mean? Like, and you meet... I remember I was in, um, and I, this is different because it's North America, but I was in, I think, Florida one time, and then I just walking down the street in Florida, I see a friend of mine from Calgary. It's just like, how does this happen? It really makes you, like, those weird coincidences, you're like, that is odd. Like, a friend of mine in Australia told me this story where he was visiting Argentina. Yeah. He's from Australia, and he was dancing at a club in Buenos Aires, and he bumped into this guy, and they both turned around, and it was his drug dealer from back in Australia. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they're like, what? What a meet what you, cute that is, what eh? What are you doing here in Argentina? I hope they embraced each other and had a big hug and kiss. <laughs> uh, the Beckler Show on a Podcast is brought to you by Shane Holmes. If you're like me and you just enjoy homes and home design and seeing how people have decorated and the features yeah. that are... I, I find that so interesting. You might want to check out their website, shanehomes.com, because they show you the communities they build and they show you the floor plans that are available. A bit more on how their affordable customization works. You can learn all about that at shanehomes.com. Shane Holmes. The better way to build. The Beckler and Shauna Podcast. There's this metal band from Russia called Slaughter to Prevail. Have you ever heard of them, Shauna? I have not heard of them, no. So their lead vocalist is an absolute madman. Okay. Uh, his name is Alex Terrible. And uh-huh. I'm he, assuming not his, his real name. I don't think so. No, okay. He, his videos always come up in my feed. I'm not a fan of this band. I don't even know any of their music, but I always see his videos because he's got some, I guess, famous moves as a front man. Oh, okay. Um, like he does this one thing where he, he gets the crowd to get up, to go all quiet. And then he sings without a mic and he's just, uh, Yeah, and like in some of the photos, I I have, I'm pretty sure I've seen a video where he hits himself with the mic till he starts bleeding, and then okay. does the show covered in blood. Oh right. There's photos of him like wow. with a live bear, like oh, just okay. crazy Russian stuff, just right? Crazy stuff. Crazy Russian yep. stuff. Just yeah, okay. The wow. most recent video I saw of this dude is him showing you how he does his uh, armpit hair removal, okay. and he burns it off. But oh. here's him explaining how I shave my armpits. Just because my skin on armpits so sensitive, very sensitive, and this uh, tattoo was painful as fuck. So I cannot shave it very well, you know? I don't know why, but it's painful. So I just, you know, do it like this, just set oh them on the God. fire until my hair gone. <sighs> Smells good. Smells like a barbecue. Dear Lord. Also, burning hair does not smell no, like a barbecue. It smells disgusting. Horrible. It's like one of the worst smells. This man is something else. He sets Alex his terrible, hairs hey? on okay. the fire is okay. what he says. Yeah, yeah, on the fire. This dude's wild. I don't think, uh, I think I, I'll pass on the whole lighting of my armpit hair. I'd never thought of doing it like that. I nope. guess like Nair, if you ever use Nair, it sort of burns it off chemically. Yeah. Because it shrivels up. That's right? a little and different you can than lighting little. your armpits on fire. Yeah. Okay. But I guess when you're... When you're hardcore like this I guy, when you so <laughs> the Beckler and Shauna podcast. So we're putting a limit on where we can put these giant wind turbines um, in the province. Yeah, did you see the map of where they can't go? No, 
It's like most of the province. Interesting. <laughs> there's only a few sections left where they can go. And it's funny because they were talking about how, yeah, there's limits on, like, because it's not aesthetically pleasing, right? So it, they talk about the pristine viewscapes and how they're trying to protect the pristine viewscapes and they don't want these things popping up where it's going to ruin some of those. Yeah, and I'd read that there are some issues with farmers and stuff, but I mm-hmm. uh, I honestly don't know enough about that to make a comment. I just know that it is very contentious. Yes. Because there are many people that would like to see us going more in the direction of renewables totally. and this will uh, be a hindrance to that. Yes. But when I saw that and I saw them talking about these not being aesthetically pleasing or, you know, really affecting these pristine viewscapes, all I could think about is that perhaps we could help. This is right up our alley. Because Absolutely. clearly they're not sexy. This is what you're saying. You're <laughs> flat out saying that the wind turbines aren't sexy and that's why you don't want them up. Okay. So we have to make them sexy. sexy. Ooh. Turbined my hands and feet and we'll get real wild. High five. I just got blade. Oh, that was bad. Rotor. <laughs> I hardly know her. <laughs> if you go on top, you can generate more energy. There's more exposure up there. <laughs> we need to get up the shaft of that tower and inspect the tips. <laughs> Something's off with the thrust curve. Those are all wind terms. That Did is, you know that? Yeah, yeah, totally. Those are all yeah. Turbine terms. That's good. That's yep. good. Kilowatts in your pants. <laughs> Can I see? G- gigawatts in yours. <laughs> so bad. Podcast. Earlier this week on the show, Shauna, you were telling us about privy pits. Yes. So prior to, uh, you know, the actual sewage systems that we have in toilets now, uh, there were these privy pits. So it was just like a giant pit that people would dig. And that is where they would throw all of their waste. But it wasn't just like waste from you pooping. They'd basically toss everything in there. Well, you said it was th- these are big to archaeologists yeah. because they can find so much interesting history in there. We got a message in front of the show, Josh Reed, who is an archaeologist. And he was pumped that we were talking about privy pits. Were we correct in what we said about them? Well, so, I mean, like you were talking about yesterday, the they are kind of the collect-all for a site, you know, that people threw in all sorts of things. And when you're talking about a meter or two meter deep pit, anything you drop in there, you're not going back in to get, right? So, <laughs> yeah, um, <nope>. It's <laughs> lost to history, drop, hey? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and oftentimes, those privy pits get covered up with other debris. Um, there's often really good preservation in those pits. And so, you know, we can figure out what people were eating based on the, the bones and stuff that were in those privy pits. Um, we can figure out what people were doing for a living. If we, if there's no other record of what was going on at a site, we can figure out what they were doing based on, you know, personal items that have fallen in or over chucked in. Hmm. We can get information from broken plates and dishes and stuff. So we can figure out if it was stuff that was made locally, if it was stuff that was imported. Um, wow. That's really cool. Yeah. So well, yeah, I, I, I guess I should ask, sorry, where in the world are we talking about this, Josh? Right in Alberta, right in Alberta. Yeah. And, and when do these pits date back to? So, the privy pits generally are associated in Alberta with historic um, period sites. So that's in Alberta, that's anywhere from about 50 years ago all the way back to roughly 200, 250 years ago. Wow. Um, the historic period in Alberta kind of covers the time period when European folks started transitioning across the plains and started um, settling here in Alberta. Interesting. There were obviously fur traders and stuff that were here before them. And so that historic period in some senses can get pushed back at maybe another hundred years, 150 years or so, but really 
kind of the last 250 years is when uh, these privy pits kind of show up, at least in an Alberta context. And you said you could find bones in it? Yeah. Will yeah, people absolutely. throw the dead people in there too? Uh, no, no, no people bones. Not okay. that I know. Okay. It's generally. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just like, yeah, it's we don't, generally... we don't bury them. We throw them in the privy pit. No, when yeah, okay, yeah, good, no, good, no, no, yeah. no. Uh, generally animal bones. So you're talking about settlers, obviously. This, this wasn't an indigenous practice? No, because the folks that lived here uh, and occupied the landscape for thousands of years before white people showed up, uh, they were very uh, nomadic uh, and they didn't tend to stay in one place for very long. Mm-hmm. They generally followed uh, the buffalo across the plains uh, and then back towards the mountains for the winter. And so, you know, we do dig up campsites and things like that from the pre-contact periods, but privy pits generally aren't ever associated uh, with those type of sites. Well, it would be a waste of time if you're moving on in a yeah. couple hours, you know? Well, exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you got to, I mean, archaeologists have to be the only people in the world who uncover a, a, a hole of shit and are like, here Yay! we go, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, luckily, I, I, I have heard stories where people have been digging in privy pits. Um, the tricky thing with privy pits is that oftentimes there's other features on a site that can look like a privy pit, so things like cellars or ice houses or things like that. So if you think you're digging in an ice house and you're digging through and digging through and you're screening this dirt that's coming up, and it is, you know, a lot more organic than you think an ice house should be. Oh, okay. There's a good chance you're in a privy pit. <laughs> but again, I, when I say organic, I'm not, I'm, you're not, you know, literally digging through right. curds or anything like course, that. Yeah. Um, it's turned into some rich soil by that point, I assume. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's uh, think about that uh, kind of really rich soil you'd put in your garden. I mean, I could see, <laughs> I could see how cool it would be to get an, a, a picture of the people who live there just based on what's in this hole. Heck yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, and oftentimes too, like those historic sites, you know, I've most of the times I've worked on or with privy pits. Um, it's been at sites that are associated with like logging camps um, in the like Hinton Edson area. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes those cabins and other structures that were at those sites have fallen down and there's almost no uh, record or indication where those buildings may have been. Sometimes you get that lowest course of logs that kind of outline where the building was. And then once you get that, you kind of look in a, you know, five-ish meter radius around there. And if there's a privy pit, then you've got a good indication that there was probably a building here at one point. Because again, if you're thinking about being out in the bush in the middle of winter, logging, you don't want your outhouse too far from Mm -hmm. where you're sleeping. Because you don't want to be running out in the middle of the night, minus 30, tromping through the woods, trying to find the outhouse, right? You want it pretty close to where you're sleeping. What's the most unique thing you've uncovered in a privy pit? Personally, I haven't found... Too much exciting, although I do know um, in one case, and I can't remember where this was, but I do know that there was an instance of somebody finding a glass eye in one Whoa. of the pretty Oh, that's, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> that is cool. That would also yeah. really suck for the person who lost their black eye in there, or their yeah, uh, yeah, glass yeah. eye rather in there. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, gone. Yeah. That's gone. Yeah. Well, looks like I have to get another one of those. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, how, how many of these sites are still unexcavated around the province? Because we always think of Alberta as not having a ton of history other than Indigenous history, right? We're a fairly young mm. place, but how many of these sites are still out there to be explored? Oh, man, that's a that's a great question. I honestly am not sure I could put a number on it. Probably in the thousands. I mean, wow. we, find, we find sites, tons of sites uh, every year. And archaeology in Alberta is a pretty... 
Um, there's quite a few of us in Alberta. There's uh, most of the archaeology that gets done in the province is associated in some way, shape, or form with some type of industry, whether that's logging, uh, development of roads, or um, new housing developments, things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and then obviously a lot of oil and gas um, associated work as well. Yeah. yeah. So we basically limited to where developments, uh, development footprints are going to be. So we can't just, you know, run through the woods willy nilly looking for stuff. <laughs> So it kind of depends on where um, industry and development is happening year to year. Um, So in the case of, you know, forestry, they tend to give out uh, footprints of where they're planning on harvesting that year. And then those specific cut blocks get uh, looked at. And in the case of historic sites, um, those tend to be fairly common in in those parts of the province. So again, right along the Rockies between Hinton, Edson, all the way up to Grand Prairie. But we also get historic, you know, homestead sites out on the the plains. So stuff even right around Calgary, lots of those kind of old homestead sites. Is it a good career, Josh? It is. I I love it. It's a, it's a really interesting career because I get to, I get to (laughs) drive through, you know, every rinky dink town in Alberta from (laughs) the, the Southern border all the way up, Uh, to the Northwest Territories, basically. It's a good mix of things that we spend about six months of the year uh, doing field work and then six months of the year in the lab writing reports. I was just about to say, how often do you get out there? That is really cool. So like, yeah, 50% of the time. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And depending on the year, sometimes that's more. I've done, I've done work in every month of the year, obviously not necessarily digging uh, because it's pretty hard to dig uh, when you're doing, when it's minus 30 out, right? But uh, our work is not just the excavation. Uh, We do, you know, we actually go and we go out and find the sites. That's kind of a a front end survey job where we're actually get a footprint from a client and we'll go out and and dig holes in the woods uh, or on the prairies uh, looking for sites. Is it, is it the field work that's the best part of it, or do you enjoy the lab work the most? What what it, what what's the best part of your, your job? I, don't, I for me, I love being in the field. I love I love finding sites. Um, you know, and I think for all of us, one of the reasons we get into this job is that is that very personal connection. You know, when we find a projectile point or something like that, and we dig that up out of the ground, there's a really good chance that we are the first people to touch that arrowhead or whatever since it was made wow. and then dropped or discarded from somebody potentially thousands of years ago. Right? Yeah, so really there's, cool. there's that There'd be a reverence to that, wouldn't there? Yeah, There is, yeah, yeah. And there's that, especially on the survey side of things, there's that kind of anticipation of of finding that kind of joy of the, the hunt and the search for, for evidence of, of people that have been living on the landscape for thousands of years. So it's a very it's a very fulfilling job when you do find those things. And again, we we are we tend to be very lucky in the sense that we look for sites by digging forty centimeter by forty centimeter holes in the ground mm-hmm. across, you know, kilometers if we're, you know, thinking about a pipeline, um, if we got a 20 kilometer pipeline, we're picking very specific spots and digging very tiny holes, yeah. postage stamp holes, hoping to find stuff. And I would say more often than not, there most projects, there is at least one site that gets found. So the wow. fact that we are able to take all the information that we've learned over the years of previous archaeologists of where sites tend to be and how sites are formed and stuff and the fact that we're able to go out and dig these small teeny tiny little holes and actually find evidence of people that lived there thousands of years ago is um is pretty lucky um so yeah it's, it's a really 
fulfilling job. I also really like in my where I'm at in my career now, I get to kind of interpret all of the data that we find, especially from big excavations and stuff. So that yeah. is that's really fulfilling as well. I get to kind of put the pieces together and trying to figure out what was happening at a site and, and things like that. That is very cool. And I mean, you get to be outside and see some beautiful yeah. and remote places too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've done work all the way from most of my work has been in Alberta, but I've done been lucky enough to actually go all the way up uh, to Nunavut and, and do a oh, couple cool. projects up there as well. That's awesome. Very cool. Where would you like to dig in the world if you could go anywhere? I would love, love, love to do any archaeology, basically anywhere in Europe. Just because of the history of there and everything that you got in cover? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, not to say that we don't have decades and millennia of, of, of history here, um, but for me, I've always been drawn to kind of the, the Roman period, the, the, the Greek and Roman periods, um, so I would, I would love to do a, a dig in Italy or something like that. It would be, <laughs> that's kind yeah. of on my bucket list, but we'll see if that happens. <laughs> how, long, how long were you up in Nunavut for? Uh, Nunavut, I've been up there for two separate projects. Um, I actually went all the way up to Eureka in 2019. Wow, wow that's okay. That's up there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've got a picture of myself actually sitting at uh, 80, 80 degrees north latitude. So <laughs> not too many people get up that far. No kidding. That's really cool. <laughs> well, Josh, we appreciate all the info on archaeology, man. That's uh, I learned a lot here. That was really cool. That's awesome. Hey, no problem. And if you guys ever have any other questions about archaeology, shoot me a shoot me a note, and I'll try to answer it as best I can. You've been listening to the Beckler and Shauna podcast, brought to you by Shane Holmes, offering affordable customization on your new home. You want more? Then tune in to X Mornings with Beckler and Shauna live on Calgary's Alternative X ninety two nine Monday through Friday, six to ten a.m. Mountain Time at x ninety two nine And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and have Beckler and Shauna downloaded daily to whatever device you use. Later. After Hours with Mariah and Ty, a weekly podcast that brings this dynamic duo to another level of awesome and allows you to listen on your own terms. Go behind the curtain and hear the stuff you won't hear on the radio. Like, f they're going to say f Find After Hours with Mariah and Ty wherever you get your podcasts.